0: Well, this morning, we're uh, finishing off a series called The Invisibles, and what we've said is that in the Bible, there are four people groups that are mentioned over and over again, Uh, and these four people groups are groups deserving of our special care and concern as God's people, and these groups are the, the, the orphan, the widow, anybody else remember them, the refugee, and the poor, and these groups are mentioned so often that one scholar calls them the quartet of the vulnerable. And so these groups, uh, they get ad time in the legal codes. These groups are spoken about in the accusations of the prophets. You read about them in the Psalms. Jesus, in many, many of his parables, talks about caring for the least of these. And so uh, what we're doing is we're, in this series, asking ourselves the question, how do we as a church care for these vulnerables? How do we as a church uh, take up the call to care for the marginalized in our world? And we've said that uh, one of the things we need to do this is justice. We need to be a people that do justice. And today what we're going to talk about is something else that we need to care about the vulnerables. We're going to talk about mercy. In order to be a people, in order to be a church that cares about the least of these, the people on the margins, we need to be a people of mercy. Now even a cursory reading through the Bible shows that God really cares about mercy, And so in the Old Testament, there's this one scripture in Micah 6.8. Many of us could probably recite this scripture. It says, God has shown you, O man, what he requires of you to do justice and what? To love mercy. And so God wants his people to love mercy. We're to love mercy. Uh, There's a verse in Hosea that Jesus quotes a couple of times. God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So God looks at religious people and says, look, more than your uh, religiosity, what I want from you, what I desire, is mercy. And, and even in the New Testament, Jesus, very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, says that, that, he, that God is a God who blesses who? The merciful. And so God wants us to show mercy. And so the question is, what does it mean to be merciful? What is mercy anyway? If we're supposed to be marked by mercy, if it takes mercy to care for the vulnerables, what is mercy anyway? And I don't know about you, but when I think about mercy, I think of the gladiator. But he's seen the movie The Gladiator. Uh, you know, Russell Crowe. You know, really bulked up for the movie, and he's this slave who, who turns into a gladiator, and he's and he's out there, you know, uh, battling in the Roman Coliseum. And there's this one moment in the movie where he's he he beats the enemy, he beats this other gladiator, and he's about to you know really give it to him. You know, he's got his sword up in the air, and everybody's saying, you know, kill him, kill him, kill him. And what does the gladiator do? He does nothing. He drops his sword, he turns around, and he walks away. And then uh, the gladiator, gladiator, whose name is Maximus, he gets a new nickname. Nobody remember what the nickname is? Anybody? Maximus the Merciful. And whenever I think about mercy, this is what I think of. You know, not doing what I could do. You know, I could inflict punishment, I could inflict retribution, but instead, I'm going to be merciful, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to refrain from punishment, right? And this is the way we think about mercy, right? You know, sometimes I think about being in school, and there's one class I had where I was headed, you know, towards failure. I was going to flunk the class, and the teacher, uh, the very last day of class, said, look, I'm not going to give you what you deserve, I'm going to give you a D, And I was happy about that, (laughs) because she was being merciful. She wasn't giving me what I deserved. And so a lot of times we define mercy in negative terms. But what I want you to see here in in the parable that we're gonna read this morning, is that in the Bible, mercy is always defined in positive terms. You know, not giving someone what they deserve, not inflicting punishment, that, okay, it's some sort of mercy, but it's too thin. The biblical concept of mercy is much, much thicker, it's much more robust than that. It's a much more powerful concept. In fact, the biblical concept of mercy, when it went into the world, when Jesus introduced this concept, it revolutionized the world as we know it. The Christians armed with this mercy, this definition of mercy that Jesus gave, they went into the world and this sort of mercy changed everything. It was so powerful, it was so robust, and so we're going to look at it this morning. And I want to look at this parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, The parable of the Good Samaritan is probably the best picture of mercy that we have in all the New Testament. And so uh, we're going to look at it. Let me set it up by giving you some context. So Jesus tells the parable, but he does it in response to a question. Um, A lawyer comes to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so this is a lawyer. When you think about lawyer, don't think of partner down at Goldman and Sachs. Think of a biblical scholar. Think of somebody who really knows their Bible. This is a man who spent his whole life studying the Torah. And he comes to Jesus with a wonderful question, probably the most important question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question, but it's not an honest question. This man is wanting to trap Jesus. Is wanting to test Jesus. And so Jesus answers this man's question with a question. He says, well, you know the law. How do you read it? There's a, a Jewish scholar named Eli Wiesel. And somebody asked him, why do you Jews always answer questions with questions? To which Eli Wiesel responded, why not? And so Jesus answers a question with a question. He says, well, you know the law. You're a scholar. How do you read it? And the man answers perfectly. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered well. Great job. Perfect answer. But the man wanting to justify himself, he wants to test Jesus. He wants to, uh, you know, show Jesus that he's worthy, that he's, he's doing what's right, that he knows what's, what's going on. And so he says, well, who is my neighbor? And to that statement, Jesus gives us this wonderful parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable about mercy, and in fact, the hero of the story, he's a Samaritan, and he's not named, he's simply called the one who showed mercy. So this is a story all about the the ins and outs of Christian mercy and compassion. Jesus gives us a picture here. And what I want to do is I want us to see three things in this little story. Number one, we're going to see the character of mercy. Second of all, we're going to see the scope of mercy. And then finally, we're going to see the motivation or the source of mercy. So we're, we're learning three things from this story about Christian mercy, this explosive idea, the character of mercy, the scope of mercy, and the source of mercy. So number one, let's look at the character of it. What does mercy look like? Well, Jesus uh, begins the parable like this. He says... He says, Imagine a man was going down from Jer- Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And so the story opens up, and here's this man, and he's on this road to Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. And what we need to know is that this was a very dangerous road. And so Jerusalem was uh, 4,000 or 3,000 feet above sea level, Jericho is 1,000 feet below sea level. And this is a 17-mile road, and so it was very steep. It was very jagged. There were cave, caves and crags, and, and robbers would hide out in these caves. And so when a, a traveler would go by, this, the robbers would jump out, mug them, uh, beat them, and steal their money. This happened all the time. And so here's a man who's fallen victim to these robbers. He's been beaten. He's been put on the side of the road, and he's left half dead uh, this means he was almost almost dead. He was beaten to, to within an inch of his life. So he's in dire straits here, this man. And as he's laying there, notice in verse 31, it says, now by chance, a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And then it says, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place where, where the man was laying, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. And so here's this man He's almost there dead, but as chance would have it, as luck would have it, lo and behold, guess who comes walking by? A priest and a Levite. Now, here's what you need to know about these two guys they were elite religious people in Israel. A priest was someone who served in the temple, he was somebody who performed sacrifices for the people of Israel. And a Levite was in the upper echelon of leadership there in, in the re- religious uh, Jewish uh, establishment. So if any two people to come, to come by, these were the ones you would want because they would have known their Bible. They would have known Micah 6.8 to do justly and to love mercy. They would have known that verse in Leviticus that says that if your neighbor has a donkey who's fall, fallen into a ditch, you need to help the neighbor pull the donkey out. And if you pull a donkey out who's fallen into a ditch, how much more a human being? So these guys, if anybody was gonna help, it would have been them. But look what, look what happens. It says, both of them, they came, they saw, and they kept on going. They passed by on the other side. They both came along and they saw the man, and they passed by on the other side, and they kept on going. What I want you to see here is that this is a perfect picture of unmercy. It's a perfect picture of what it looks like to be unmerciful. And what I want you to see is, it's sort of a benign picture, isn't it? I mean, what do these men need to do to be to be unmerciful? They don't need to go and beat the man some more and steal more of his money. They don't need to, you know, trample over them with their steeds or whatever. They don't need to be brutal or cruel or mean. What do they need to do to be unmerciful? They need to do nothing. All it takes to be an unmerciful person is nothing. They came, they saw, and they passed on by. It reminds me of that that little quote that says, all it takes for evil to prevail in our world is for good men to do nothing. It was Elie Weasel, the same Jewish scholar, who says the opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. And I think you could also say the opposite of mercy is not brutality, but indifference. And so these men, they see the need, they see this; the, these priests, the levite they see the man, they see the need, and they pass by, and they do nothing. Now, why did they do nothing? Uh, I'm sure they had great reasons for doing nothing. You know, some might say they were being smart. Remember, this was a dangerous road. There were robbers everywhere. If this man was lying within an inch of his life, chances are the robbers were st- still Nearby. Near, nearby. And so maybe they were being smart, maybe they were afraid, and they said, look, if we get off of our horse and we help this man, we're going to die and our families will be left without us. And, and, and what would happen to us? And, and so we're going to be safe, we're going to keep on going. And, you know, maybe they thought, you know, they're, they're, this is a priest and a Levite, this man who was lying half dead on the road. If he was dead and they touched him, they would have been defiled. They would have been unclean. They would have been left unable to perform their duties in the temple. And so they reasoned, and they had probably decent reasons for doing this, but what did they ultimately do? They did nothing. And this is a picture of the opposite of mercy. But then you have the good Samaritan, and he's a picture of mercy. He's a picture of Christian mercy. And what I want you to see here is that the difference between the priest and Levite and the Samaritan is that while they failed to act, what he did is he came and he saw and he took action. Let's look and see what he did. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he came and he saw, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and to take care of him. And so here we see in the Samaritan, this is a picture of the unique virtue of Christian mercy. It is marked by action in the face of human need. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones defines mercy this way. He says, mercy is a sense of pity plus a desire to relieve suffering. And then he says, mercy is pity plus action. That's what mercy is, pity plus action. It is inward sympathy and outward acts in relation to the sorrows and sufferings of others. Tim Keller defines mercy this way. He says, mercy is meeting human needs through deeds. And so Christian mercy mercy is defined by action. It's defined by seeing a need and being so moved by the need that you take action to relieve that situation. And that's exactly what the Samaritan did. I want you to see it's also made up of two different things here. Christian mercy is made up of two different components. First of all, you need to see the person's misery. And you have to enter into their sorrow. In fact, the Latin word for misery is connected to the idea of misery. Of, of mercy. is connected to the idea of misery. And so uh, in, in Latin, the word uh, mercy literally means to have a... Mi- a heart of misery, interesting. It means to have a a sorrowful heart, why? It's because you're entering into the sorrow of somebody else. It's It's to see someone's pain and you don't shield yourself from that person's pain, but you enter into it. Jesus had this sort of mercy. You remember Jesus was called a man of who? A man of sorrows, why? It wasn't like he was just a depressed person uh, you know, uh, naturally, it's because Jesus, enter, he was able to enter into the sorrows of other people. He was a man of sorrows because he couldn't be around human misery and not enter into it himself. In fact, the word that's used of compassion here, or mercy in this parable, where it says the, the, the Samaritan saw the man and had compassion, it's the Greek word splagomai. Can we all say that? Splagomai. There's gonna be a test on that afterwards. <laughs> Um, It literally means to be moved deep into your bowels. (laughs) It sounds funny, but this word is is used of Jesus all the way through the New Testament. Jesus would see a leper, and he was moved with compassion, he would see uh, you know, a crowd of people and he was moved with compassion. He was splagomai. He, was, he entered into their sorrow. He entered into their pain. And this is where mercy begins. You, you see a person. You don't shield yourself from their misery, but you enter into it. You enter into their sorrow. And that's what the Samaritan did. He saw the man and he, and he had compassion. It moved him. But he didn't just have pity. His pity moved him to action. And look at the action that this Samaritan man took. He gave this stranger his, his money, or he gave, him, well, for he gave him his time. So he was on his way to do something else. He stopped what he was doing, and he changed all of his plans. He put this man on his horse. He took him to the city of Jericho to take care of him. He gave him his time. He also gave this man his money. And so he took him to an inn, and he gave the innkeeper two denarii, which had been two weeks of expenses, He puts his credit card on file at the hotel and says, look, take whatever you want, whatever you need to take care of this man. He risked his own life to take care of this Samaritan. To go to Jericho would have been dangerous for this man. Jericho was a Jewish settlement, and this man was a Samaritan, he was an outsider. To go there would have been dangerous, and he risked his life to do that. In other words, he offers this man deeply sacrificial, holistic care. And this is mercy. Okay, so this parable tells us the particular character of Christian mercy. It is entering into a person's pains to such an extent that you take action to take care of that person. It is sacrificing your own self in order to enter into a person's situation to offer relief. And this is what it is. But then secondly, let's ask the question, what is the scope of Christian mercy? So this is what the Samaritan does. But second of all, Jesus is going to tell us the radical nature of it. He's going to show us the scope of Christian mercy. What does scope mean? Scope is extent. It's the broadness of something. You know, if you've got a scope, you know, on a gun and you're looking through the scope, the scope is the extent of the things that you see through it, right? And what is the extent or what is the scope of Christian mercy? In other words, who do we owe this to? As Christians, we're supposed to care for others, we pour ourselves out for others, show mercy and compassion, and enter into the sorrow of others. But who? What others? Remember, this is the question that sparks Jesus to tell the parable. The man says, who is my neighbor? Right? And Jesus answers the question by saying, well, let me tell you a story about a Samaritan. And he tells the story of a Samaritan man who takes care of a Jewish man. And you might be saying, well, that's w- what's going on there. I mean, why is that so radical? Well, in that day and age, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They were sworn enemies. Uh, you know, Samaritans were viewed by Jews as half-breeds, uh, heretics, people with offensive beliefs. For at this, By the time that Jesus the, tells the parable, the Samaritans and Jews have been at each other's throats for a thousand years. So there was deep prejudice, deep hatred between these two people groups. And Jesus says, Who do you show mercy to? Well, let me tell you about a, a Samaritan who shows mercy to a Jew. You couldn't get any broader than that in terms of scope. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that you should never limit the mercy that you show to another human being. Mer- mercy is to be radically indiscriminate. As one scholar puts it, one cannot define one's neighbor, one can only be a neighbor. And what Jesus is saying here is, he's saying, look, here is the particular mark of Christian mercy. You enter into a person's pain, you care about them, you, you sacrificially pour yourself out for them, just like the Samaritan. But here's the radical thing about it. You do this for, for people that are completely different than you, that might even be sworn enemies, a, a Samaritan and a Jew. In our day and age, if we told this parable, it would probably be something like this. Here was a man who's fallen on the side of the road, and a Baptist preacher walks by, and then a social worker walks by, and then comes along a kindly ISIS operative. And here's the man that shows mercy. What Jesus is doing here is he's broadening the scope And he's saying, you don't just show mercy to your family. I mean, we all kind of naturally do that, hopefully. You don't just show mercy to your church family, but you show mercy to any person that you happen to see who's in need. Regardless of race, class, religious belief, our mercy is to be radically indiscriminate. And this is absolutely powerful when it happens. The other day I was, it wasn't the other day, it was the other year, it was two years ago actually. (laughs) Preachers always do that. Anyway, we were on our way to Fayetteville and I had my wife and my kids and we're all, my mother-in-law, we're all in the car in 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 a van and we're driving to Fayetteville. And you know to Fayetteville, you don't take the big highways, you take the small little road that goes through Mountain View and then through all those little towns until you get to the other main highway, I forget what it is. But we were in our van, we were on our way, and we're in this, you know, you're passing by these little towns of like 100 and 200 and 300, and we get to this little village, and my car starts to smoke. And so we pull over to the gas station, and we, we stop the car, and I, and I get out of the car, and I open up the hood. I know nothing about automobiles, but I got to do something, right? You know, <laughs> what do you do? And so I open up the hood, and I'm looking inside, and then for whatever, I don't know why I did this, but I went behind, and I'm looking in the exhaust uh, pipe. It's kind of looking at the car. The car's smoking, and we're stopped. We're an hour and a half from home. We're about, you know, three hours from Fayetteville in a town of about 200. And this woman comes out of the gas station, and she looks at me, and she says, you don't know what you're doing, do you? (laughs) And I said, is it that obvious? And she said, yeah, it is. And she said, well, you know, my, my father's a mechanic, and I could probably get him to come out and, and help you here. And I said, really? That would be incredible if you did that. And so she went, she went, and she was working at a, it was a gas station with a subway attached to it. And so she was working in the subway, and she goes in there, and she calls her dad. Her dad comes out, and he says, man, there's something wrong with your car, and I can't fix it. He says, you're stuck. There's nothing I can do. And so there I was, you know, stuck in the middle of Arkansas nowhere, you know, w- in this town of 200, and there's nothing I can do, and, and uh, w- I do have a AAA card, and so I could call AAA to get the car towed back, but only me and, w- and, and the driver and another person can fit in the, in the tow truck. And the woman at the subway says, you know what? Um, I get off work in a couple hours. I could drive you home. And I said, really? I said, it's an hour and a half, and she said, I could drive you home. And I thought to myself, she doesn't even know me. But she got all of my family in her van and she drove us all the way back to Batesville. And I remember sitting in the car as as we got to the house, and I remember thinking, why is she doing this? I was thinking, does she want money? Does she want, what does she want? And it turns out she didn't want anything. All she said when she dropped me off was, I'm a Christian. And let me tell you, that was incredibly powerful. I mean, I was a Christian minister and I said, how do I be saved? (laughs) I want what you have, right? But that is the power of Christian mercy. What was she doing? She was doing what the Samaritan was doing. She was giving me time, she was giving me money, time is money, and she was doing it to a person who she didn't even know. And it left me asking the question, why in the world would you do this? And so the Christians, they, saw, they read this parable, and Jesus talks about the nature of Christian mer- mercy and the scope of it. It's really for everybody. And they went, when they went into the Roman world armed with this idea, this incredible idea of Christian mercy, and, and it was incredibly powerful, just like it was for me and that woman who drove me home. When the early Christians went into the Roman world and they showed this sort of mercy, it was explosive, uh, it was incredibly attractive, and people wanted to be saved. In the early Roman world, it was a brutal place, and you know people lived in cities that were filthy, that were filled with disease. Uh, there were actually two big uh, plagues that, that blew, uh, blowed through the Roman world at that time, early in the uh, 100s and then later in the 200s AD. And historians talk about these plagues, and you have secular sources talking about how everybody was leaving the cities the Christians were going in, and the Christians were risking their own safety to care for people who were diseased. And it was attractive. In the Greco-Roman world, the gods were not merciful, and they didn't require people to show mercy. And even the philosophers regarded mercy as something that was almost an emotional defect, because it indicated that you were helping somebody who didn't deserve it. And they thought only the weak and children show mercy. So mercy was in limited supply, but the Christians were going in and they were caring for strangers. And they were showing them this powerful mercy. It's so powerful that there was a Roman uh, 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 emperor, his name was Emperor Julian the Apostate. And Julian hated the Christian movement. He wanted to stem the tide of Christianity. He wanted to stop it. He wanted to promote paganism, but it wasn't working. Christianity was growing because of this explosive idea of mercy. And at one point, uh, the emperor is writing one of his colleagues, and he's trying to, he's he's like, I don't know why Christians are, why is this movement growing so much? And the other man says, listen, it's the mercy. And the guy writes it back, and he says this. Where does he say this? He says, the impo- impious Galileans, that's the Christians, they support not only their own poor, but ours as well. In the early church, uh, the mercy was worked through something called the diaconate. And so they had a group of leaders that were dedicated for caring for needs inside the early church. And so what, what they wanted is they, they, the Christians wanted to have a community that was marked by mercy. They wanted to take care of their own sick. They wanted to take care of their own poor. They wanted to take care of their, their own diseased. And so they created this diaconate, these group of leaders whose sole purpose was to care for the needs inside the Christian community. But what happened is the diaconate, it, once they took care of the Christians, it, it spilled over into non-believers. And so the Christians were just marked, a hallmark of the early Christian movement was that they were people that were incredibly merciful they poured themselves out just like the Samaritan, even to people that were strangers. So armed with this parable, the Christians went into the Greco-Roman world and they showed this incredible mercy. Isn't this a powerful idea? Well, let me uh, quickly get to the final point, which is what is the motivation for this sort of mercy? I mean, I, be, I want us to be a church that does this. I probably, all of us want to be people that show mercy. Where do we get the motivation to do this? Well, uh, look at this parable. There's one remarkable twist that Jesus gives of this parable that I think is incredibly powerful. Whenever you you hear a story, you put yourself in the situation of one of the characters, right? And when Jesus tells the story to this this Jewish legal scholar, where does this man see himself in the story? Well, Jesus switches the place. He could have put the man on the steed, you know, on the horse. You know, he was the man who came in and saw this dirty Samaritan and he jumped off of his steed and he pulled the man out of the ditch and helped him. But that's not what Jesus does. The Samaritan is the one on the horse, right? And where is the man? Well, chances are the man probably identified himself with the person in the ditch. And what Jesus is doing here is he's wanting the man to ask a question. And here's the question he wants the man to ask. What if your only hope was to get ministry from someone who not only did not owe you any help, but who actually owed you just the opposite? What if your only hope was to get free grace from someone who had every justification based on your relationship to him to trample on you? He's switching the place. And he's getting the man to ask the question, what if I needed help? And the powerful thing in the story is that all of us are in that situation. The Bible says that all of us are not physically within an inch of our lives, but all of us are dead in trespasses and sins. All of us are desperate. All of us are without hope, on our way to destruction. But the God of mercy saw us and had compassion. He entered into our sorrow in the person of Jesus. And Jesus lived in in this world, this, this, you know, road to Jericho of sorts. And he took our pain upon himself and he was crucified on the cross. In other words, when you read the story, Jesus Christ is the great Samaritan. Jesus Christ shows us mercy. And therefore this parable is not just a do it, like go and do this, here's a moral lesson. It is a dynamic that says, here is a Christian. A Christian is someone who's been shown incredible mercy by God. They have been the objects of God's mercy, and therefore we are those who go out in the world and we do likewise. And so Jesus, in effect, is asking the man, have you been showed mercy? Do you know the mercy of God? If you have, I want you to go and do likewise. Likewise which is how Jesus ends the parable. He says, I want you to go and do likewise. Well, let me end the sermon today by giving us some application. You know, as I was thinking this week about this idea of mercy and how it's shown in the Good Samaritan and how you see it in the early church and this woman out there in that that village, you know, showed this mercy to me, I started asking the question, like, what are some practical ways that we as a church can go and do likewise? Like, what can we do corporately to show mercy not just to one another, but to people outside of the church. And so um, here's what we thought of. Uh, First, let's just think about how we can show mercy inside of this community. There is a group of of, uh, people in our church that have a vision to care for the needs within this community. And uh, we have deacons in this church, but we don't really have a diaconate, which literally is looking all the time for needs within our body. And so they came this morning, and they passed out little cards. Does everybody have a card? Could you put it in the air and wave it like you just don't care? What this is, this is a card to help our diaconal team out. Uh, You will see questions on the card, and these are just practical questions um, asking people in our community how they can practically care for other people in this community. And so maybe you can just peruse that card and see. maybe ask yourself the question, what can I do to be an instrument of God's mercy? What can I do to tangibly... Uh, uh, take action, which is mercy, to care for needs in this, in this church family. And what I'd like you to do is look through that list. If you feel called to, to click one of those uh, boxes there, uh, fill that out and you can put it in the offering box as you walk out the door today or you can give it at the Welcome Center as you walk out the door today. But this is a way that we as a church, we're trying to do this ministry of mercy within our body. So fill that out, Uh, please turn it in. We would love for all of us to be involved in this ministry of mercy. It's crucial, it's powerful. Here's another thing we can do, and here we're thinking about what can we do outside of the four walls of the church. Because remember, the Christians didn't just care for people within their own ranks, they were going into the Roman world and caring for people that were strangers. Reaching out in word and deed. Well, what is a way that we could do that in our community? Well, there is a ministry called Our Father's Table, and it's right here in our backyard. It's right up the street. It's a, it's a homeless ministry. They have meals that they cook every Saturday and Tuesday. And uh, they need volunteers. They need volunteers to serve meals. Uh, they, they need volunteers to cook meals. They need volunteers to pray for people at those meals and just be a presence there. Anybody can do this. They need people to clean dishes. Anybody could do this. And so uh, we as a church, we want to kind of adopt that ministry and just, uh, you know, uh Give them volunteers. Give them people that can help out. They're uh, showing compassion and mercy in our community. So this is another thing you can do if you want to do that. If you want to sign up, um, Monica and I, I think someone else is back there to help sign you up to serve either on Saturday or Tuesday. And we're we're owning that ministry. We're adopting it for the month of December. And so you could sign up for that at the welcome table in the back. Um, there's there's someone else. Uh, we uh, there's someone else in our community who care, cares for. Um, who's really into um, refugee care, and in some ways, this man is a stranger. He's a refugee, and um, if you want, uh, you can talk to me about that. Um, She's told me about World Relief, I think it is what it is, and if you want to get involved in that, I would love to talk to you about that. So here are just some ways that we as a church can tangibly go and do likewise. And so this was a short series about caring for the invisibles, The Bible talks about the quartet of the vulnerable, and God says, I want my people, I want the hallmark of my people to be mercy. People that that see needs and take action. Who meet human needs through deeds. We go out into the world and we're reaching out not only in word, but also in in mercy and compassion to people who are on the margins. So can can we be a people like that? Can we say yes, amen, brother? Brent, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this little story about the Good Samaritan. He was um, uh, he was a man who took action uh, in the face of need. He, he was not indifferent, um, but he 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 plunged himself in into the misery of of a man who who deeply needed it. Father, he gave his money, he gave his time, he gave his energy. And Father, this is, uh, this is your teaching about the mercy that's to mark us as your people. And so God, we pray that as we uh, minister in this community, in Batesville, that you would uh, make us a church not only marked by good preaching and, and, and commitment to the scripture, but we would also be a, a people committed to mercy. God, that we would do this uh, within our church family. God, that there would be no needy among us because we are committed to using our time, talents, and energy to care for the needs here in this body. But God, that we would be a people that also look to the needs in our community, that we would go out in word and deed, uh, seeking to uh, alleviate the suffering of others. And we pray that you'd help us to do this by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.